Welcome to the Six Figure Jobs Podcast. I'm your host, James Nicholas Kenny, um, El Jefe of Six Figure Jobs. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have a really good friend of mine on today, Christmas back. As Christmas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Christmas and I were on a mental health panel um, together about a month ago, or at least it feels like a month ago. Uh, and mental health is something that Christmas is an expert in. But before we dig into her background, um, Christmas is a diversified executive. Uh, she spent years at one of the largest fast fashion companies in the world. She spent tour. She spent years going out on tour in the music industry and supporting her passions there. And now she is a director. Uh, at the mental health level and is fully dedicated to helping workplace populations through mental health. And she helps companies across the country and across the world, essentially, with how they're approaching mental health within the workplace. So really important uh, conversation for us to have here on Six Figure Jobs Podcast. Christmas, welcome once again. Thank you again. And uh, anytime I'm I'm going on some kind of a job interview, I'm going to hire you to come and just speak my resume in that way, because that was... (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. So um, let's start with your origin story. So I gave you the intro, but why don't you give us the story? How did you get to Six Figures Plus? How did you become a lady boss? Uh, How did you just become a boss? Because regardless of gender, you are just a boss. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, I, uh, I grew up very humble beginnings in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have my first job at the local Dairy Queen making five fifteen an hour. Um, I loved wow. it. Uh, I um, didn't, I, I came from a family that was relatively, not relatively, we were, we were dirt effing poor. And no one in my family was able to co-sign my student loans to go to college. But I luckily made a really great impression in my high school on the high school janitor. So the high school janitor at my school signed, co-signed my student loans so that I could go to college. Um, I'm the first member of my family to go to college and I graduated from college, which is a feat all its own. Um, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. Because my, my... Berkeley? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that's, that's the music thing. Okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so I went there as a, a flute principal and a music business management major uh, because I I promoted concerts uh, from the time I was 13 until I graduated high school and then continued to do it when I was in college. I toured the country a couple of times at that point through the summer. Um, my whole goal in high school was like to be away from home as much as possible. So I played every sport. I was part of every club. Um, I wanted to be out of my house. So I found things that I could do that might make me money, um, so that I could support myself as much as possible. Um, so I went to Berkeley, graduated from Berkeley. Uh, I moved up and down the East coast for a while across the Midwest. I started working for, um, I started working for H and M as a part-time sales when I was in college. And when I graduated, I was making more money working at H&M than entry level anywhere inside my field. So I stayed with them. I went full-time. I eventually became a manager and then um, moved across the country to Chicago. I was a department manager for a while. And then I became a, um, a district recruiter. 
And then I moved to a regional employee relations position. Um, And then from there, I I started working with a behavioral. So I was laid off from H&M. They they reorganized. I was laid off, uh, had about six months of a really serious uh, deep depression, which we can dig into as much as you'd like, very open. So ask me anything you'd like about that. Uh, And then I got a job at a behavioral health agency in employee relations and compliance. And now I am at Hope for the Day full-time working in a program that I designed. Um, so I, when I was laid off, um, I started writing this program about mental health education and utilized all of my HR background and my passion for mental health um, to create this program. Because working in varying levels of corporate America, I saw... Um, I saw how unrealistic expectations and a drive for profit first before people first really affected uh, the people that I served and also myself. Uh, I had some challenges when I was in that regional level position uh, myself. So I made it my my passion project, I, I suppose, to write this program. And lucky for us, I presented it to... Um, I presented it to Hope for the Day. I was a board member at that time, and uh, they were able to license it to a Fortune 100 company. And then I was able to come on full time. And now I'm I'm the director of of all things mental health education in the workplace at Hope for the Day. And that's how I got here. <laughs> wow! Um, if there was like a crowd applause button, I would hit it right now. So I'll do the fake uh, <laughs> sound. Um, you know, Christmas, I, it, it really blows me away to hear your story. And here's why. We go through life every day, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, CNN, Fox, NBC, whatever, every now and then. And you hear these good news stories or these stories of hope every now and then. And number one, we just don't hear them enough because for some reason, and I'm sure you'll tell us because you're the expert, that we're focusing on the negative things and on the bad things. But it's very easy for me to ask you that question and for you to take three minutes and describe your journey. But that was a lifetime of work that you just told us. That was a lifetime of struggle that you just told us. That was getting up every day. And asking yourself, how am I going to do this? That was going to bed at night, sometimes sad. That was looking at your checking account and hoping it doesn't bounce in overdraft. I mean, I'm talking about the real shit behind the story. And I recognize that and I recognize you because it's so easy. I'm director now and I have a husband and congrats on your anniversary, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's so easy to do that and and then and then go, but let me tell you, this was a fucking struggle. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about some of the shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me, yeah, tell me, yeah, l- l- let's go t- tell me the, the 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 trough of the wave, if you will. And then let's talk about some of the crest. Sure. So I've had I've had plenty of troughs, uh, for sure. I ended up uh, after after I graduated college, I moved to 
I moved to Atlantic City. I was with a guy that I had been dating for four years. We were going to get married. Um, as soon as as soon as we moved in together, I found out that he'd been cheating on me for four years. So we we split up, but I had like literally 20 cents in my bank account because I just graduated from college. Um, so we were, we were living in the same place in different rooms. And, um, it was like rural New Jersey. I didn't have a driver's license. Um, and I felt like a prisoner in my, in my house. So I was like taking the bus to work every day. Um, in Atlantic city, I got robbed on my first day of work. Uh, so that was, that was really brutal. And then eventually he, um, he just, he just kicked me out. And so I had to figure out all kinds of things. Um, so I bought a, I bought a 1995 Geo Metro car off of Craigslist for $250. Geo Metro, damn. Uh, yes. It's, it's like, a, it's like a Lego car. <laughs> Right. Um, so I bought that and I had my, I had my learner's permit in Massachusetts. So I took a Greyhound bus to Massachusetts. I tested to get my driver's license, got my driver's license, took a Greyhound bus back so that I could get in my car. He, he kicked me out. So I packed anything I could in my car. And then I was, I was homeless for about six months and I was like living in my car, going back and forth to work. And there were those days where I was like, Ooh, if I go through this toll on the highway and it drafts my easy pass, am I going to be in the negative of my bank account? Like that shit happened. Um, I was able to uh, get out of that uh, eventually by getting promoted at my job. And, and they, they were able to provide me with a place to live and a hotel and everything. And then I was able to save and uh, that was really great. So that was one of the, one of the very low troughs uh, of my life. That was, it was, it was scary. It was really scary at times. Um, but we made it through and we're here. Uh, another, another low point would have to oh, be, go ahead. Yeah. I, sorry. Yeah. There, there, there was of, of all the gems that you just dropped right there in terms of the, the story and the decisions that you made. Um, you said that you got promoted and then you had savings. And when you said savings, I had a light bulb go off. Um, being from Pittsburgh and having the job early on, first person family graduate from college, et cetera, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that financial education wasn't really a part of your upbringing. Is that correct? Oh, zero. Yeah. We grew up on all the assistance, all the stamps. Um, you went school clothes shopping. The one week before school started, and those were your clothes and shoes for the whole year. Um, yeah, so I had, I didn't have any uh, yeah. any financial education at all. Right. So to 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 our listeners that are out there, maybe making twenty thousand dollars a year right now, maybe making uh, seventy thousand uh, right now, and some of our listeners are maybe making one hundred and fifty, and you know their goal is to make three hundred thousand a year. Um, how did you know? in that crucial moment when you were kind of coming up just above the, the, the clouds there after recovering from the relationship of being kicked out, where did the financial education come in to say, Oh, I need a savings account. I had, so I had a, a manager, uh, I had a manager at H and M. His name is Howie orange. 
um, hi, Howie. And I love him very deeply because he was the first person to see, um, to see like, okay, yeah, you can, you can run this company. Like I can see you in the future, like doing this, this, and this. And he, um, he taught me about, he taught me a lot about money and how he like moved his money around and how, how to, how to do that without realizing, uh, that you're even missing anything from your paycheck. So he was the one who pushed me to open a 401k, um, because I had no idea what that was. I was like, no, you can't, you can't have $20 out of my, out of my check. I need that. I need that for food. I need that for gas. And he's like, you're not going to notice it's gone. Just do it. And it's going to grow and it's going to grow. Um, and it, and it did, but when I, when I got promoted, um, my salary essentially doubled. I think I was making at that point, like $8 an hour. And, um, as a manager in the early, the mid two thousands, I was making like $16 an hour. So I felt rich. I felt Mm -hmm. so rich. Um, I was able to like buy food when I needed to buy food, which was like brand new for me. Cause at that point it was like, okay, like you, you can, you can go to the grocery store, but you can only spend like $14 for the next two to three weeks at the grocery store, which means you can't eat out. You can't um, go have drinks anywhere. Like this is the money that you have. I think that it was what, what drove me to that place was recognizing that up until that point, my whole life had been a mentality of scarcity. And it's like, if you don't have this, you will not eat. If you don't have this, you will get kicked out of your apartment. Um, so it was, it was scarcity and it was fear that really drove, um, my, my, uh, my frugal lifestyle, which to a point, I still live that way today. I, I'm making a lot more, but I spend very little and I save a lot. Like I have a lot of accounts and I have a lot of just funds and, and, and things that I move around pretty frequently. Um, but Howie was the first person to be like, you need to think about your future. You want to be poor forever? And I was like, no, I don't want to be poor forever. Um, so he made me open that 401k and that was I think that was the catalyst that um, started my brain moving toward that mentality that my life doesn't have to be based off of scarcity forever. Wow. That's massive because I think, as you know, and I'm just making this stat up, but it's got to be 70% of people still don't understand that and still don't have a real financial education because it's not a part of regular school and certainly not a part of regular households. So when a person is in scarcity mode and they get a job offer and the company says, oh, uh, it pays 62000 and the candidate says, yes, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. You, you and I know now at this part of our career, you should always negotiate every job offer. There's, if, if you say... If you say yes and, and 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 that's the first number that you get, then you know you didn't negotiate and that you undersold yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So going from eight to sixteen with those kind of jobs, it makes sense. But what I try to teach now is uh, you know, our 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 mantra at six figure jobs is life is too short to be underpaid. 
And what I've taught my, uh, yeah, and what I've taught my niece and nephew, for example, is I've taught them about the compounding effect. And when you talk about a 401k, there is a timetable associated with that, that you can make more money in the future, but you'll never get back the time, right? So, um, right. So in, in terms of how that scarcity shows up with negotiating for jobs, it's notorious that a lot of women uh, don't negotiate okay. for, for roles um, and just a lot of people don't negotiate for roles. How would you recommend that the audience uh, overcomes that fear of number one, financial education? You know, like, oh, I, I hate math. I hate numbers. I don't want to talk about it. And then number two, how do they overcome the fear of asking for more money and negotiating? Yeah. Great question. So I think for the for the first question, um, for the financial education, uh, my my best advice is to open some kind of an account that can divert at least fifteen percent of whatever you're bringing in pre tax, because you will not notice that that money is gone out of your check, and if you are able to uh, just set it and forget it. Um, that, that money will show up in your future. Like you're rubbing a genie's lamp. It's like, Oh, I didn't even know that that was there. And now I have this, this, this chunk that I could potentially leverage to purchase a house. Or if there's some sort of major emergency, I have this money sitting there that I wasn't even thinking about. So if you're able to, um, like at the bare minimum, just divert some of those funds right away, pre-tax, do it. If you get that opportunity for a 401k or a 403b, if you work for a nonprofit, please do it. Um, and there's also, uh, there's, I use an app called Acorns where Mm -hmm. every single week they just take $10 out of my checking account and drop it into an investment account. I never notice that that money is gone. Um, and after just a few weeks of doing it, I'm so surprised at how much it's grown. Um, so there are things like that, or you can even do something like, um, you can, you can round. So you can set up some of your accounts that if you purchase something on a credit card or with your debit card, that you can take whatever those, those cents are that would round you to the next dollar and just have that move over. So then we're not even talking about full dollars. We're talking about literally just pennies, just cents, do something um, that you can to invest in yourself in the future because you are worth it. And it's important to, to know that you won't be able to work for the rest of your life and you shouldn't have to work for the rest of your life. You should be able to enjoy your retirement and have the ability to actually retire. Um, because you've, you've earned that, you've earned that throughout your life. And, um, it comes with, uh, respecting, respecting yourself and, um, Mm, I love respecting that. respecting your own hustle, you know, yeah. like we worked yeah. so hard for so long. Um, and then the second piece uh, you were asking about uh, ladies or anyone negotiating for themselves. So this job at Hope for the Day is the first time that I have ever negotiated for myself um, because I was still living in that that place of scarcity for a while, even, even after 14 years at my previous company, when I would go through promotions and things, um, they would, they would offer me just enough where I would just see like 
the cartoon character with the dollar signs in their eyes. Like I was like, Oh my God, that's such a huge change. It's going to change my life. And then once I am in the role, I realized, Oh, now that I'm doing research and looking around everyone else on my team is making significantly more than me. Like there was, there's one person on my team who was making like $30,000 a year more than me. And I was like, Oh shit. Is he doing $30,000 more work? He absolutely is not. Um, and then I started researching uh, through things like through sites like Glassdoor and Indeed to see what the what the average for certain roles are. Um, but then when I came to Hope for the Day, I came with a straight up like uh, like spreadsheet. Here is how much I want, and here's why I want it. And I broke down like what. Uh, okay, you guys can't offer me health insurance right now. Fine. This is how much my health insurance will cost. This is how much a phone will cost. This is how this is how much I've already brought in as not even an employee of your company, just in licensing from this one company. So uh, I was able to make that case for myself, and and it was a challenging negotiation session because I uh, I joined Hope for the Day as a volunteer in 2011. Uh, because one of my best friends was the CEO and founder. So I was negotiating with a very, very close friend. So it, the whole time my heart is going and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to be so pissed at me. He's going to hate me. Um, I, this, I, I run the risk of like, I'm probably trying to negotiate for a salary that is even more than his salary right now as the CEO. Um, but I'm like, here's why I'm worth it. And one of, one of the things is one of the things that I, I chatted with him is, um, my, my arm of the company is going to be the most sustainable. It is going to bring in the most money long-term. We already have this client, this client, this client. And I know that if I accept anything less than this, that I will be resentful. Um, and I don't want to do that. I know that in myself because that's the way I was at H&M. Once I found out what everyone else was making and the amount of work and the way it was divvied up, I was like, this is not, this is not cool. Um, so I negotiating for yourself is very, very hard, but, um, again, it goes back to respecting yourself and knowing your own boundaries. I was taking a very large pay cut to go to hope for the day but I'm going to work there because I love it. I'm passionate about it. I believe that it is my dream job and I'll probably be there for a very, very long time because it's something that I physically created. I created my position there. Um, so if you are someone who is struggling with that negotiation piece and you have a hard time thinking about, um, oh, what if I make somebody mad or what if they, what if they walk away? Spend some time thinking about thinking about what you believe your worth is, write it down in the dollars and cents of like what you bring to the table, what it's going to cost you to live, what it's going to cost you to maintain any licenses. Um, if they have health insurance, like what's going to offset your health insurance costs or like cell phone costs, internet, whatever, and, and come up with that number and realize that you are, no matter what, you are more than your job. And if this job doesn't want to give you what you are worth, then they don't deserve to have you. Because the employees who are able to care about themselves and respect themselves and respect others are going to bring so much more to the table than somebody that you're going to lowball and, and piss off. So know your worth and recognize that 
Um, there are plenty of jobs in the world. And if this one doesn't want to pay you what you're worth, that is not the place that you need to be. Yeah, that's, first of all, congratulations to you for giving yourself that education and having that courage. Um, I'm hearing you say two key takeaways. Be, un, be comfortable with the uncomfortable of negotiating because you were negotiating with your best friend and you knew it would be an uncomfortable process. But point number two that I heard you say is that there's always a trade-off. And I talk to our six-figure jobs community all the time about this, that there's a trade-off. And to me, what I heard you say the trade-off was is, do you want to live with the regret of being underpaid and having that sinking feeling in your stomach that my colleague is sitting here doing the same job, making 30K more than me, or maybe this person has an inflated title and they're making 50K more than me. Do you want to live with that regret or do you want to boss up now and you use, and you use an evidence-based approach of your worth? which is fantastic. It's not an emotional argument that I'm going to yell and I'm going to cry and I'm going to scream that I need to get paid more or that I'm asking for more money. No, I'm going to give you a data-driven approach and evidence as to my worth. And that is excellent business practice. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So by no surprise, you are where you are because you're strategic. Yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. And it, doesn't, it doesn't always feel like that. <laughs> yeah. No, serious congrats on your journey. So last question uh, for the interview. Um, and then I'm going to ask you, you know, where people can get in touch with you and learn, learn more about hope for the day, because you have resources that everyone needs. And there's a lot of heads of HR that will listen to this too. So I also want them to know more about your, your work in the, the marketplace, but, um, let's go back to that origin story for a moment. There are some people out here right now that are listening to this podcast that are in Texas, West Virginia, California, Florida, Washington, Michigan, wherever, Jersey. Uh, and they are those people right now where the checking account is very light and it might bounce or they just had a breakup or they have a loved one that's sick. Um, what words of encouragement, not advice, but from your heart, what words of encouragement would you give them right now, knowing that they can get to where you've gotten to? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, um, it's important to recognize that uh, no matter how you're feeling, those feelings are valid. And it's important to feel your feelings. They come on us like waves. And in order to live a, a happy and fulfilled and healthy life, we need to recognize that there are feelings attached to every single thing that we do. And uh, you are in a very, very tough place right now. But remember that these moments are temporary and you will make it through this and you already are making it through this. So if you open your eyes today and got out of bed, you're fucking doing it. And the rest is extra credit. And be sure to allow yourself the grace to break down once in a while and be able to feel what you're feeling and to have the courage to share it with your, with your friends and your family and your loved ones and your coworkers, because you're not alone in your struggles. And, uh, 
Um, we all have challenges and your challenges are just as important as anyone else's. So don't ever diminish the fact that uh, you have feelings or you're going through a tough time. Share, share and get that support and that sense of community um, because you you are an important part of this world and you're going to go out there and you're going to achieve and you can do this. You can do this. And if you ever need to talk, I'm always here to listen. Uh, I'm not a mental health clinician, but I am a community member who gives a shit about others. So um, feel free to reach out to me anytime and feel free to utilize any, any of the resources that Hope for the Day has. But you can do it. You can do it. You can get through this. Thank you, Christmas. Thank you. Um, funny thing is, that's relevant to me now. Uh, no matter where you are in the journey of life, what you just said, it was relevant to me when I was getting multiple overdrafts a day. And now I'm not getting that financially, but shit, the waves are still here and they always come. So mm -hmm. thank you for that evergreen advice. Um, all right. Well, as we always say on the Six Figure Jobs podcast, life is too short to be underpaid. So thank you for enriching us with your wealth of knowledge. We got we got paid today from your soulful, strategic brilliance, the hustler's hustler. Uh, we are so proud of you and what you've uh, accomplished. Um, how does the audience stay in touch with you? What's your Instagram? What's hope for the days? Sure. I mean, my personal Instagram is uh, Christmas underscore like the holiday. So <laughs> easy to find. Uh, hope yeah. for the day is just at hope for the day on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere else. And our website is hftd.org. And if you ever want to reach out to me directly, my email is Christmas at hftd.org. I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you so much. Christmas, thank you so much for being on the show. Seriously, hell of a journey. I'm so happy for you. Thank you for blessing us with your knowledge. 